And please take your Bibles and open them up to the book of Judges. Might turn me down a tiny bit there, please. The book of Judges. And I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through it. What a joy it is to gather before you, knowing that you are alive. And I pray this morning that we will have a special sense in that. Your presence here with us. Help us as we study your word to see you. In your precious name, I pray these things. Amen. In the time of Joshua, God's people said to him, three times, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Joshua was leading his people, God's people, and he challenged them to serve and love the Lord. And Joshua said those famous words at the end of the book of Joshua. He said this, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And God's people responded back to him, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was a bit suspicious. And he wondered and he said, will you deny the false gods? Will you turn away from all idols? And they said, no, we will serve the Lord. And he was still a bit suspicious and he still wondered and he called on them to obey the covenant promise that they had made with the Lord. And they said no again the third time at the end of the book of Joshua, just before Joshua died, they said this, we will serve the Lord. And that was the covenant promise that God made with his people. He said to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And part of that covenant promise was this, I will give you a land. I will promise and give you a land, but what do you need to do? You need to go, and you need to take that land. And they said, yes, we will serve the Lord. And as I read that, I wonder, are they actually going to do it? Are they really going to serve the Lord? Because I know in my life, as I look at human beings, human beings often have the ability to say that they will do something and they do not follow through. And it starts out from when you're really actually quite young. As parents, you might come to your children and you might ask them to do something and they will say, yes, mommy and daddy, yes, we will do it. And as soon as you ask them to do it and they say, I'm going to do it before the words come out of their lips, you wonder, are they actually going to do what they say they will do? And this doesn't just happen with children. It also happens with husband and wives. A wife comes to the husband and the wife says, will you do this for me? And the husband says, yes, honey, I'm going to do it. There's no problem. It's as good as done. And yet, as he is saying those words, the wife wonders, will he actually do what he is saying he is going to do? And so we get that same feeling here when God's people say, we will serve the Lord. We get kind of suspicious because we know that reality, don't we? How many of us have made proclamations to the Lord? Yes, Lord, I will do this. Yes, Lord, I will serve you. And yet we fall quite short, don't we? 
Remember the day you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Him. And when you put your faith in Him, when you said, I'm going to trust Jesus, you thought your Christianity was going to go from here straight all the way to heaven and you just fly in through the gates of heaven. You thought that's the way Christianity was going to go. But when I trusted in Christ, my Christianity didn't go like this. It was kind of more like, like, like this. And it's still the way my life is. It's still the way my Christian faith is. I want to serve the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet each day, isn't it true that it is a struggle for you and for me to fully and wholeheartedly obey? And so the reason we're suspicious when God's people say we will serve the Lord is because we know our own hearts and we know theirs. Serving the Lord is going to be a struggle for them. And we know it's going to be a struggle for them because of what happens in Judges chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So things actually begin quite well. All the, days of, all the days of Joshua, what do they do? They serve the Lord. The Lord had promised, I'm going to give you a land, but you need to take it. And then Joshua dies, and you wonder, how are they going to go when their leader dies? What's going to happen? Because usually when a leader dies, everything crumbles. When you lose your leader, you lose your direction, and it all goes all over the place. And, and so you kind of wonder, okay, they've said we will serve the Lord, but they've lost their leader. So they begin quite well. They begin by doing what? They begin by inquiring of the Lord. They go down on their knees and they pray. That's a good start. Lord, what shall we do? Who is going to lead us? Where are they going to go? And then the Lord says to them, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So the southern tribe of Judah, one of, one of the best behaved tribes of Israel, he, he, he's going to send them and they're going to start the campaign and they're going to take the inheritance that is theirs before the Lord. And it starts by going quite well. Verse 4 says this, Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Parasites into their hand and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. So they go to Basic and they defeat them. They get the land. It continues to go well. In verse 10 it says, And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. And they defeated Shisha, Amon, and Talmai. So throughout the battle they go up against Jerusalem. They strike it down. They go against Negev. They strike it down. And here in verse 10 they go against Hebron. And what happens? It says again, they defeated them. It continues to go well. If you go down to verse 17, the campaign continues. And in verse 17, and it says this, And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephthah and devoted it to destruction. And so it seems like they are serving the Lord. They say, we're going to serve the Lord. Judah goes up. They defeated them. They defeated them. They defeated them. It seems like it's going well. But as we read this, as you and I read this, we wonder, is that right? Are things really going well? 
Because in verse 17, it tells us that they devoted a people to destruction. And nowadays, you read that and you say, is that right? Are they really serving the Lord by devoting a people to destruction? By going into battle? This is a hard thing for us to consider. And it is tough, and it is going to get worse as you go throughout the book of Judges. There is a lot of death and murder and killing in this book. And for us as as a neutral nation, you know, Ireland is the quintessential neutral nation. Our winters, neutral. Our summers, mostly neutral. Our conversations, pretty neutral. Everything's neutral. We don't want to fight. We don't want to go to war. America, have at it. Russia, have at it. We'll just stay here. We're neutral. We're not used to hearing of battles and fightings, and we don't think, is there actually a need for that? But sometimes there are evil people in this world. You know, there are the Hitlers of this world that you're not going to talk to. Somebody needs to take them down. And you wonder... Is this actually part of God's plan? You see, there is a lot of death in this, in this book. One writer says, said it, says it this way, as it comes to the book of Judges, and we question whether killing people would be part of serving the Lord. As it comes to the book of Judges, this guy says this, The book is gory and bloodletting without remit. The large-scale killings, they are shocking. 10,000 Canaanites and parasites struck down by the Judah and Simeon coalition, about 10,000 Moabites struck down by Ehud and his army, about 600 Philistines struck down by Shamgar, about 120,000 Midianites killed by Yahweh himself, the burning alive of about 1,000 in Shechem, 42,000 Ephraimites felled by Jephthah, Samson's killing of 30 Philistines, later 1,000 of them, and finally, 3,000 more, 22,000 Israelites killed by Benjamin in one day, 18,000 on another day, and 25,100 Benjaminites killed by Israel. That comes to a total of 242,730 in numbered military casualties alone in this book. That is a quarter of a million people killed as recorded in this book, and you say, is that right? You have to deal with it. And not only the mass killings, but also the the graphic detail that comes about in this book, in this battle. You you see it actually in chapter 1. Let me ask you a weird question. Here's the weird question. How many of you like your thumbs? Any of you here like your thumbs? Pedro, do you like your thumbs? He likes his thumbs. Cal, do you like your thumbs? Do you like your big toes? Do you like your big toes? I like my thumbs and my big toes. Well, do you want to hear a story about a guy who gets his thumbs cut off and those big toes cut off? It starts in the first. (laughs) At At least you're honest. It starts in the very first chapter here. The very first chapter. Thanks, Simeon. Wait to have your daddy's back. All right. Verse 5, it says this. Look at verse 5. All these mass killings and then this individual thing that happens. Verse 5. 
They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Parasites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died. What do you do with all of this? We're going to keep trying to answer this question in the book of Judges, but it is a question for us. What do we do with all this? Are they really serving the Lord by doing this? Well, there is an interpretation that this evil king has. And the interpretation that the evil king has, he himself says this, as I have done, so God has repaid me. And what he is acknowledging, though everything that he is saying, I won't say is completely right, and we'll get to that later, but but what he is saying is in one sense true. God has repaid me for my sin. You see, the Canaanites, they were not an innocent people. They were an evil, idolatrous people with evil kings. This was not a good king. Adonai Bezek was not a good lord and not a good king. And his interpretation is this. God has repaid me for my sin. Every time you see any battle in the Scriptures where the Lord is leading His people, that is a small picture, a small picture of the final judgment that is to come. A small picture of the final judgment that is to come. A lot of people will say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is totally different to the God of the New Testament. They are not the same, but you have not read Revelation. Because in Revelation, it will be entirely worse. Sin will be repaid. And you know, you wonder, like in the book of Judges, is it appropriate for us, even with, even with children in the room, to talk about someone cutting off his, his thumbs and, and cutting off the toes, and then we say, oh, well, let's, let's go to something like nice, like Noah's Ark. You know, we'll, we'll teach them Noah's Ark. And you know, in, 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 our, in our Bibles, in our kids' Bibles, don't you have Noah's Ark and all the animals are on there and they're all smiling and everything's lovely and good? And we have no problem with putting that in our children's Bible, except for one fact, that flood represented the death of the entire world. And then so our children get older and they wonder, what happened with the happy animals in the flood? Because we don't tell them the truth of the story. The flood was a picture of God's judgment upon all the world. This is why the world went mental when, when that film, The Ark, came out starring Russell Crowe. I'm not going to say about his accuracy. I don't even know. I haven't seen the full thing. But everybody went mental because suddenly they said, hey, wait a second. The ark meant one family gets saved, but everybody else is destroyed. And that's your God? That was a problem for people. God brought about His judgment through the waters of the flood. And later in Sodom and Gomorrah, God brought about His judgment through the flames of fire. And here, God is bringing about His judgment on the Canaanites 
by, in, and through the sword. There is judgment for sin. Sin will be repaid. And ultimately, what this is a picture of, every single picture is a small picture. Every single judgment, whether it is water or fire or sword, is a small picture of the final judgment when on the final day, every single one of us will stand before our Maker. And as we stand before our Maker, our sin will be repaid with death. And it will either be repaid with our death or the death of Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus Christ was a good and gracious king. He was not an evil king. And he was tortured and he was put to death. And that's why our battle is no longer with flesh and blood. That is why you cannot use this passage to advocate wars, uh, war crimes that we might um, insist has to happen. No, Christ's death was the judgment once for all for sins. And so when you stand before the Maker, either you will be judged with the judgment of death, or Jesus' death will pay for you. Jesus' death, once you trust in Him, will pay for all of your sin. You will no longer have to face that judgment. And so every time you see a battle or a war taken out against an evil people in this book, it is a picture of the judgment that is to come. My question for you is this. Are you ready for that final day of judgment? When you stand before your Maker, will you stand on your own? Or will you stand covered with the blood of Christ? Because sin will be repaid either by you or by Jesus. And I would urge you, if you have not trusted Jesus today, that you would ask Him to forgive you of your sin, that you might not face that final judgment on that day. That on that day, Jesus' death will have paid for all your sin. It's difficult, I know. I haven't answered all the questions, and we'll come to it again and again. But what we see in this promise that they made, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord, what happened? They defeated, they defeated, they defeated. So where did it all go wrong for them? How do they not keep this promise of we will serve the Lord? Where does it all go wrong for us in our Christianity when we say, I want to serve the Lord, I want to follow the Lord Jesus, where does it all go wrong for us? I think it all goes wrong for us with small, little compromises. That's where it always goes wrong for us, doesn't it? Small, little compromises. Have you ever started a diet or something like that? Started a diet? You start a diet and and it's all going well, everything's going so well, and then you have just a little chocolate and it's fine, a little compromise, not going to do anything, and you keep going and have a little more chocolate and... Keep going and you have a little more and then suddenly you say, ah, McDonald's not going to be so bad, so you have McDonald's. And small little compromises after small little compromises lead to what? Big failures. Small compromises always lead to big failures. Where do they compromise here? 
Well, actually, I think they compromised here firstly with that guy Adonabizek, the guy with the thumbs. Because they were not called to go in and torture people. They were not called to do that. They were called to go in and defeat and drive them out, but not to torture them. So what are they doing? They're compromising. What are they behaving like? They're behaving like the Canaanites themselves. First little compromise. Second little compromise is this. The Lord says, they say, who's going to go up? The Lord says who? Judah is to go up. What happens in verse 3? In verse 3 it says this, And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites together. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. Hey, I've got a plan. So the Lord says, no, Judah, I want you to lead and I want you to go. And Judah goes to his brother and he says, you know what? Actually, I've got a plan. Yes, I know the Lord is with us, but we'll be stronger together. So why don't we do that together and it will all be okay? That's not exactly what the Lord says. Small little compromise. And you say, oh, I'm not too sure about that. It mightn't be small little compromises. Maybe, maybe that's unity. Maybe that's nothing too bad. Well, then look at what happens in verse 19 with Judah. Everything's going well. They defeat, they defeat, they defeat, they defeat. And in verse 19, it says, and the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. They defeated, they defeated, they defeated, and then they come up to the plain and they see the chariots and they say, hold on a minute, no way. What an easy compromise that would be to make. Listen, we've, we've defeated at Hebron, we've won all these battles, we've taken most of the land. Lord, surely that's okay. They see all these iron chariots, they go kind of like, oh, I don't know. They're, iron chariots are like the war tanks of the day. They're like the best technology of the day. All these guys had was they were on foot. Yet they neglected to see that the Lord their God was what? Was with them. It says in the verse, and the Lord was with them as they were going up to the plain and they saw the iron chariots and they said, no, no. Say, that's not too bad. Shane, you're a bit too harsh on them. But the law of God in Deuteronomy 20 verse 1 says this, He said to his people, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army that is greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Why do they compromise? Fear. See the chariots? I'm not going there. Why do a lot of us compromise? in our Christianity, I think sometimes it comes down to fear. We talk like the world, we dress like the world, we act like the world because we're afraid that we'll be neglected by the world. Small little compromises. And this small little compromise leads to more compromise for God's people. Verse 21, it says this, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So, so Judah come up, they see the chariots, and they run away. Benjamin come up, and they see, God, they see these people, and they don't drive them out, and they say, you know what, you know what we'll just do? Let's live with them. It's fine. We'll just live with them. 
And then we're told later on in verses 22 to 26 that Joseph come up to their inheritance. And remember, they all said, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord. But Joseph comes up to take their inheritance. They meet, as they're spying out the land, they meet this man and they say, look, if you tell us where to go or whatever, we'll treat you kindly. Don't worry, we'll let you live. They let the guy live and what does he do? He ends up building, building this other land. And you say, ah, they just let one guy live. That's fine. But that's not what the Lord told them to do. Little compromise. And then verse 27, guess what Manasseh do? Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean. Instead, what did Manasseh do? Do you know what Manasseh did? Instead of living with them, Manasseh said, let's just have them do forced labor. That's what we'll have them do. We won't drive them out. And then verse 29, guess what Ephraim do? Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Instead, what did Ephraim do? Ephraim said, you know what? We'll just live with them. It'll be fine. And then guess in verse 30, what does it say about Zebulun? Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Instead, what does Zebulun do? They said, let's put them to forced labor. And then Asher in verse 31, what does it say about them? And they did not drive out the inhabitants of Aku. Instead, they said, you know what? We'll just live with them. In verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Instead, what do they do? They subjected them to forced labor. And Dan, Dan, the tribe of Dan, when they came up in verse 34, they did not drive the people out. And verse 35 tells us, guess what they did? They subjected the people to forced labor. Let's just let them live. Let's let it be okay. Little compromise, it's fine. Ah, sure, you'd forgive them, wouldn't you? Let's just live with them. It's going to be fine. God did not want His people to live with them because He knew when His people would live with them, what would they start doing? They would start worshiping false idols. Compromise after compromise after compromise. And you know what the truth is? Small compromises lead to big failures. It's true in our life. Remember when we were studying in Chicago... And part of the course that I was doing, they had evangelism. Evangelism was, was part of this, this course. You had to do evangelism every week. Imagine I was getting a grade for evangelism. How sweet was that? And so you're doing evangelism every week. It was part of my course throughout the whole time. So what we did was we went with our lecturers into like downtown Chicago. Chicago, one of the biggest cities in the world. And what we went is we went to a, a clubbing district and the idea was that we would witness and evangelize by the clubbing district. And if you, you know anything about big cities and clubbing districts in big cities, it's not the most savory of places to go. And so what we did in the evangelism there was we got out a whiteboard. We put out the whiteboard and we wrote like question, one big question on the whiteboard. So it would be something like this. Um, what do you think of church? What do you think of church? Or, or, or what do you think about Christians? Or how have Christians treated you? Just one big, big, long sentence on this whiteboard. And what we did was we handed it to people. As they walked by, we handed them a marker, and they could write down whatever they wanted. And man, the stuff they wrote was absolutely terrible. What you thought of church, what you thought of Christians. Quite enlightening, actually. But every time someone wrote on the board, we asked them this question. Why did you write that? 
And as we asked why did they write that, we got into wonderful evangelistic conversations, and it was really, really good. We didn't need to do anything more than that except for this. Two of the guys that I was studying with said, no, no, that evangelism isn't enough. Do you know what we need to do? We were getting good responses. People were chatting with us. We didn't need to do anything more. But you know what? Two guys I was studying with to really get to know these guys, we need to go into the clubs. That's what we need to do. So two of them on the night, they go into the club. And they think, that's how we're going to evangelize. We'll really get to know them. We're going to be like Jesus, you know? Jesus did hang out with tax collectors and sinners, but he didn't go to brothels. He did go to their house, but he didn't go to their brothels. And so, so they, these guys, in the name of Jesus, were saying, we're go there. And afterwards, I was angry. I was angry. And I took one of my friends aside, and I said, how did it go? And he said, oh, yeah, very, very good. I asked him, were you able, I, I just said, can I ask you some, some hard questions? Were you able to actually witness and evangelize in there? Have a good conversation in there, or was the music too loud? Music too loud, I couldn't have a conversation. All right, okay, couldn't have a conversation. I asked him, I said, what was the music like? What was, what was the music like in there? Was it good? Was it honoring to God? Was that the place you should have been? He said, no, but you know what he said to me? I didn't listen to it. You didn't listen to it. You can't go into that place without listening to it. And then we had the conversation further, and I asked him more questions, and it turns out that there were screens in this nightclub with films and videos playing, and I'm not going to say what was playing, but you can read between the lines of what was playing, and he said, oh no, don't worry, Shane, I didn't watch it. He didn't watch it. How about not go there? One of those guys turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ, studying to be a pastor, studying to love the church, and turned away from the Lord Jesus. I'm not saying it is that event in particular, but what I am saying is this. Small compromises will lead to big failures. And if there's anything we need to learn from this chapter, it is this. That exact truth. And so I have to ask you this morning, what small compromises are you making in your life? What things are you doing that you know this isn't right? And this is going to lead me down to a path of disaster. Maybe it's secret sins for you that nobody else knows about. And it's small little compromise after small little compromise. And you think it's okay because you're kind of getting away with it. But Jesus will warn you, turn away from that. Small little compromises in relationship, small little compromises in conversations. We need to be careful of that. And this warning, this warning for you this morning about small compromises, it is not condemnation. What it is, is grace. You see, because as you, it's, it's almost like this. It's almost like we're walking towards a cliff's edge. And each little compromise that we make is one more step towards that cliff edge. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing and what He is going to do in the book of Judges, because let me let you in on a little secret. It's not going to get any better in the book of Judges. It's actually going to get a lot worse. But what the Lord will do and the warnings in this book is in His love and His grace, He is going to call you back and woo you back to Himself. 
And if there are small compromises in your life, today Jesus would say to both you and me, let's deal with it. Let's, let's go to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and ask for His help. And do you know the reason they were living a life of small, small consequences, small compromises? Because they forgot. They forgot everything that the Lord had done for them. They forgot His presence. They forgot His glory. They forgot all His deliverance. The last verses I'll read to you, chapter 2, verse 1, says this, And the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Oh, how things have changed for God's people. It began with them on their knees, inquiring of the Lord. And now it ends with them on their knees, weeping before the Lord. Small compromise, small compromise, small compromise, small compromise. The Lord said, I will no longer be with you. And then you wonder, the Lord said, I will never break my covenant with you. And He also said, I am not going to be with you. How is the Lord not going to break the covenant and yet at the same time break the covenant? How is the Lord going to do those two things? How is that going to work? Here's what the Lord did. He sent Jesus Christ. Our God and Father sent Jesus Christ, the covenant keeper, who did this. He kept not only his side of the agreement, but he also kept ours. You see, the thing is, they would never keep this covenant. They were never going to be able to serve the Lord perfectly. And the Lord Jesus Christ steps in, and he says, I will do it for you. I will do it for you. What you can't do, I will do. I will be obedient where you have been disobedient. You see, the thing is, we will always say with best intentions, I will serve the Lord. But we will always fail. We will always be faithless. But the good news is that Jesus Christ is always faithful. And He never fails His people. And He says, right, you can't keep the promise. Step aside, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to live an obedient life on your behalf. So then God's people can say with a clear conscience, I will serve the Lord knowing that I serve the Lord through the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've got for us today is the same question that Joshua asked the people. 
Choose this day whom you will serve. We've got to choose. Who are you going to serve? Or are we going to keep living a life of small compromise after small compromise after small compromise? Can I tell you something strange? I love September. Do you know why I love September? Because it offers me a fresh start and a new beginning. I love certain times of the year that do that, that I can say, right, I've been messing up here, compromising here, failing here, foolish here, but this offers me a new beginning. And I think there can be a new beginning for us. As we start this year as a church, we need to choose who am I going to serve? And let us serve the Lord Jesus together. Let us run with Him together. Let us fail and fumble and stumble together, but let us always point each other to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has never, ever failed us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your faithfulness, Your salvation, Your grace. Lord Jesus, we know that we compromise in our lives. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help us see those compromises even now, see those compromises today, and choose to serve you. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. I pray, Lord, as we come before the table, that we'll take it as a moment to repent of our sin and trust you. Help us, Lord. We need your help. In your precious name, amen.